And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed, that I may slay him. Michael has said he's sick in bed. He said, Lord, bring the bed. Verse 16, when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed. Remember, Michael last week put it there, the idol, with a pillow of goat's hair for his vulture. The man who just promised in verse 6 of this same chapter two weeks ago to never hurt David is now trying to kill him. If there's ever a time in David, if he's going to exercise faith, this is it. But there's a, there's a principle about life and there's a principle about faith you need to understand, and it's this. You have to walk before you run, before you grow. You can apply that to almost every avenue of your life. You have to take little steps to get good at something. If you're going to accomplish anything, whether it be in the business world, athletic, whether it be financially, you have to take small steps first in order before you can take large, big ones. And the same goes with faith. You can't take this monstrous, huge leap of faith if you haven't taken small steps of faith building up. You see, you get to a point, you get to a point where God, the doctor tells you bad news. This is not the time to begin to learn faith. The time to begin to learn faith was, well, can I tell you something? The easiest thing about faith is when you give, when you tithe. That's the easiest thing. God says to give. God says to be part of his work. God says, and, and so you give. And then you go a little bit further and you start to share your faith. And then you take another step further. Maybe you're a young adult and everybody else is, you know, messing around. But you say, you know, by faith, I'm going to say that God's word is right. And then you go a little further and you marry the person that God tells you to marry. By faith, I'm marrying this person. And boy, marriage is a leap of faith, isn't it? If this is your first leap of faith, you're probably going to pick the wrong person. And then when it finally comes to something that's just life-shattering and destructive, by faith, God's got this. You see, you got to walk before you can run. If you want to start exercising great faith tomorrow, Says, 
Not only was it this idea, he threatened to kill me if I didn't go along with it. She's a flawed person. But at some point, you're going to have to start trusting flawed people. So that's some of you right now, that's your problem. I'm not trusting flawed people. Well, you've got a big problem there. Because everyone you know is flawed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The difference is not whether or not they're flawed or not. The difference is, is how flawed they are. Now, at some point, you're going to have to trust somebody. Now, I am not telling you to go back to somebody who did something horrific, criminal, or horrible to your life. That is not what I'm saying for you to go back and trust that person who did some of the most barbaric, horrific things to you. That is not what I'm saying. But every relationship requires faith. Um, this is important. Throw this up here. Faith is the start of hope and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide faith, hope, and charity. Um, I have changed my message about five times. Mary can attest to this. I sent her a note and said, no, 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 change it. Let me do this. No, 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 change it. And it's over this issue right here because I really want to do this correctly and I really want to do it kindly. The reason so many of you don't have hope is because you don't have faith. And the reason some of you will sit here and say, I just don't feel loved. Oh, because you don't See, in order to get hope, you're going to have to have faith. In order to be loved and have someone love you, you're going to have to put your faith in flawed people. And this is my experience. This is a little college psychology, but this is also a little bit of my experience. The people who have the hardest time with this, of putting their faith in somebody, are the men who have had abusive father relationships. And the women who have had abusive father relationships. Ladies who had horrible fathers find it very difficult to then go on and put another trust into another man. Men that have fathers who walked out on them, who weren't what they were supposed to be. I mean, that's your first authority in your life is your dad, and dad's not there. Or dad loves alcohol more than he loves you. How do I then turn around when the first authority in my life that, I, life that I'm supposed to put my faith in, how do I then turn around and then trust another person to be an authority in my life? Do you understand? That's why so many of these young people, listen, 90 plus percent of all men in prison have never met their dad. You say, why? Because of that. Listen, the reason why when the police officer pulled me over and I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, is because I had a father who I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, and he demonstrated an authority in my life that I knew I could put my faith in. You remove that, and by the way, Satan does that on purpose. You remove that from an individual, whether it be a boy or a young girl. You remove their ability to put faith in authority. You remove their ability to put faith in other people, and that's why we have a generation who is being raised in divided homes, who doesn't know how to love, who doesn't know how to have hope. How can I put my faith in this person if the first person, if you're here today, I am not trying to pull off an old wound to hurt you. But how can you start to see a huge flaw in your life 
if you don't first address it. Um, in our 11 o'clock uh, study, one of the ladies just gave this amazing thought, and it has been staying with me all week. And she said, uh, for a woman, and, and kind of in this regard, they can kind of fix this.
God provides people with strength. These are people you can run to. They, you can run to them for help, advice. You can cry on their shoulders. You can rejoice with them. God will provide somebody with strength. God provides people with standards. The person God's providing for you, the standard that they will do is this, is the word of God. The Bible is your instruction manual for life. Listen, I understand that that person might have some good advice or anything else, but if that person does not believe this book, that is not a person God is providing for you. All right, they might be a nice person, they might have good advice, and I'm sure Dr. Phil says some good things and stuff. I don't know what his relationship with God is, but he might have some good things. But if he doesn't believe this, he's not the person God is providing. And lastly, they are people of serenity. The world says to find peace, you have to have money, fame, and beauty. Right? The world says money, fame, and beauty, that gives you a life of peace. But yet, you look at the world's lives, and you look at the Hollywood and the music industry, you look at their lives, and they are anything but. They usually end horribly. You say, Pastor, where can I find people like this? It would be great if there was a group of people that met. <coughs> People of strength, standards, God standards of strength. A group of people that met maybe weekly. Maybe because, well, because I'm kind of busy and I'd like to have more. Maybe who met twice a week. And God, God maybe if there are people like this who could meet maybe three times a week and they had little sub-gatherings that I could be part of and, and there's people of serenity and peace and standards. Pastor, where can I meet people like that? And it would be great if admittance was free. It's the church. The church is a place of fellowship. Say amen. amen. The church is a place where you're supposed to learn. Say amen. But the church is a place to belong. Amen. Listen, but why looking for the perfect church? World issues. I'll say it again. The only time this church is perfect is. Said, 
and he and Samuel went and dwelt at Naoth. Naoth literally means dwelling. Naoth was a place where the prophets would go to be trained. Naoth would be best maybe described as a Bible college or a seminary that was there. And this was a place that Samuel knew very well because these young prophets, and we'll see next week what's an amazing story next week. These young prophets are being trained here at this, we'll, we'll just use the word seminary, okay? And it's Samuel who's the lead professor. It's Samuel who's in charge of training these young prophets. It's a place that Samuel knew well, and that's where he's taking David. He knew it would be a safe place. He knew it was a place of other believers, and he knew it would be a place that David would be protected, safe, but refreshed. Listen, Naoth was a place of three things. Learning, fellowship, and pastor spiritual. Again, this is the church. Naoth, I mean, I'm not telling you to mark up your Bibles, but the name Naoth is just almost like the church today. Because that's exactly where it was. When David was being chased for his life, when David felt all hope was lost, when David found, probably found out his wife had said, his wife lied, and wife, his wife said, I was going to kill I mean, all these things are going through his mind. Saul, who's supposed to be his mentor, is trying to kill him and everything. Samuel says, wait a minute, i got just the perfect place for you. Let me come take you around these other young prophets, a place of refreshing. And David will find that Naoth is a place of learning, fellowship, and past experiences. There's not a better parallel to the church, I don't think. You see, too many people think the church is this. A man visited a very formal church one Sunday. Right in the middle of the service, a guy had a heart attack and died. But the ushers carried out five guys before they found the right one. <laughs> Too many people see the church that way. They think that the church is a, a dead and pointless place. Right? And you know what? To be honest, many churches are. Someone here shared me a, a difficult story this last week. They, they went to a funeral. It was at a church of a place that does not believe in God's word. It was at a place that does not hold up Jesus as preeminent and the leader of their church and the Savior. It was at a place that had walked away from God's basic morality and traditions. And after it being part of that funeral, they walked away and said, man, there was no hope. And I know that because I've been to some of those funerals. I've been to some of those churches and thinking, you're giving a great political talk. You're giving a great sociological thing. You're giving a funny speech. You're telling good stories and everything else. I'm laughing. This is funny. But what you're not doing, you're not lifting up Jesus through God's word. Too many churches are dead and pointless. But that's not what God intended. God intended church to be a place of learning, fellowship, and shared pastor spirit. So let me ask you this. Where is your name? Where is your place of name? I want to close with a video. I need to set this up a little bit. The video is from a speaker who I enjoy. Uh, I can't say I'm 100% doctrinally with him because there might be something I don't know about. But I enjoy him. And it's by a man by the name of Francis Chan. And, uh, he has this very famous video on a balancing beam. And we're going to jump into part of his message on this. He's basically using a balance beam as an example of faith. That an Olympian is supposed to get on that balance beam and do all sorts of crazy things and then get off and be judged by the judge by how well they did. 
And he gives a great illustration here about how many people live their lives instead of by faith. Well, they do this. Let's play this one. Whatever, you know, because there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, like that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, and my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. <coughs> then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck a gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves and live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because the sun has sun rays. I'm going to, uh, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in this safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help, and nurture you because God heals you all too. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go to your greatest prayers like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, a dream, you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go,
trust 